0: I never thought that our immigration policies or the issue of asylum is for people to come here to escape poverty. Because then most Americans listening to our audio today on the, day the mm-hmm. Strongcast is going to ask the question, well, where do we go around the world to escape the poverty that we find ourselves in, in the United States? Welcome to another edition of Strongcast. I'm your host, Armstrong Williams. Well, the Democrats have won the House. And what is so significant about that is that Maxine Waters, who will become chairman of financial services, and Jerry Natler out of New York, where we have the oversight of House investigations, have already talked about the fact that they're going after the president's taxes, more Russian probes, make the president's life miserable. I don't know if the Democrats want to operate that way. I think if they do, they're going to ensure that Trump wins by landslide in 2020. But we have two very special guests on the day, um, John Dale Grover. As the assistant managing editor of The National Interest. Man, what is The National Interest? That's uh, a new one for me.
1: Yes, The National Interest is a uh, realist magazine we're all about debating the national interest and also what realism is. Uh, basically, we're pro-restraint. Uh, we don't want to have unnecessary foreign wars, and that is the main thing that we talk about is how to define that interest and pursue it in a way that doesn't cause uh, unnecessary casualties.
0: Well, you know, you are our guest today, and I had to have uh uh, A plus journalist joining us today, so Rachel Giddis with, da- oh, with, with the Daily Signal is joining us. So she'll be asking questions today. Um, what, what what is it that the House will be investigating? Because your only interest in terms of foreign affairs.
1: Yes, that's correct. Uh, so the thing that the Democrats will be most interested in investigating is, of course. Uh, Trump's alleged ties to Russia, all of the arguments about whether collusion exists, what exactly collusion is, and also, of course, uh, anything else that they might want to delay on, right? So uh, they're coming into this being very angry that Trump wrong, being very upset over uh, all of the saga that happened with Obama when Congress was divided then. Uh, So one of the, for instance, one of the casualties could be the Space Force. Uh, So now that uh, Congress is divided, there's a good possibility that they will block any attempt to create the Space Force, which is supposed to happen in 2020.
0: audience what the Space Force is.
1: Um, So Trump's proposal for the Space Force, it would be uh, the next uh, branch of the military. It would be the first time we've created a new branch uh, since we created the Air Force. And uh, essentially, the idea is that it would defend our interests in space, so protecting our satellites, overseeing uh, nuclear command, the launch of missiles. Um, And this is something that's debated because, you know, does it create more bureaucracy? Does it cost more? Does it not? Is it efficient? And uh, the Democrats would be really keen to nip this in the bud.
0: Rachel? Are there areas uh, that you feel in the areas of foreign policy that the president is probably vulnerable, or do you just think the, gov- the Democrats, it's a witch hunt and they're overreaching?
2: Well, I do have to tell you. So I was in Texas covering Marshall Blackburn's race for uh, midterms. Sorry, Tennessee. It's Thank okay. you. Bader works. so Beyonce endorsed Bader O'Rourke. He lost. So I was in Tennessee covering uh, Marshall Blackburn, who uh, was also endorsed by another celebrity, and
0: she. Taylor Swift.
2: Taylor Swift, so March ended up winning. And I was talking to an Uber driver, and this was before any of the results came in, and he said, you know what, if Democrats end up winning the House, the results hadn't come in yet, but they did win the House. He said, if they end up winning the House, all if we always see from Democrats is subpoenas and investigations about Trump's taxes and things that t- Trump has done. He said it's very likely this is Trump's ticket to winning 2020. So I don't know if that's true. This was a Tennessean's uh, observance, but he said, I personally feel, he even called himself a moderate. So he's someone who maybe didn't support Trump uh, when he ran in 2016, but now he supports him. And he said, if he runs again, and if the president runs in 2020, which he likely will, he said that he'll likely win because if Democrats, if all they do, if Nancy Pelosi, whoever ends up being uh, speaker, which it could be Nancy Pelosi, if all they do is do investigations, subpoenas, look at what he's done and not actually work on behalf of the American people and pass things like tax reform 2.0 and others, he said Trump will win in 2020.
0: What are the areas in foreign affairs that you have your your, uh, focus on other than Russia?
1: Right, so of course North Korea is very hard if you looked recently. um, Basically the agreement that was supposed to happen, there's supposed to be a meeting between uh, Pompeo and uh, the North Korean foreign minister and that got delayed and North Koreans are very angry because they see uh, the U.S. is acting in bad faith and there's an argument going on between us and our ally South Korea. So South Korea says we want a peace process first. We want a peace treaty, we want to remove sanctions, and then we can talk about denuclearization. Trump wants to do it the opposite way. like, why should we remove sanctions? We've done this before. They need to give up the nukes, then we can talk about a peace treaty, then we can talk about sanctions. And the way this ties into the midterms is that If everything is gonna be so divided going forward that Trump really can't get anything done domestically, why not push forward with foreign policy? Why not gun for another summit meeting with Kim? Uh, Why not try to do other things in foreign policy where there's a much more freedom of action and maybe he can score some wins ahead of 2020?
0: What about Saudi Arabia and Khashoggi?
1: Yes, that's another issue. Uh, Basically, the most recent action we've taken there is to say we are not gonna be refueling Saudi warplanes to support that coalition in the war in Yemen. Um, so Yemen is in the midst of a civil war right now. Uh, there's a coalition led by Saudi Arabia that we support that is supporting the Yemeni government, and the other side which is uh, loosely supported by Iran. Um, but the problem is, is that we've been, uh, the, not us, the coalition's been carrying out airstrikes, uh, one airstrike about every 99, 96 minutes since 2015. And only about one third of those has actually hit military targets. So we, The Saudis have been hitting civilian targets, uh, schools, um, there is over a million people with cholera. Uh, there is mass starvation over there, um, 50, at least 50,000 killed. And it's really, really bad. This is a human rights situation that uh, the United States should just not be supporting. It's not in our interests. It's not supporting our values. And I'm glad that Trump has decided we're finally not going to be supporting those airstrikes. Uh, but I don't think that's going to derail our relationship with Saudi Arabia. We've had a strong relationship for a long time. I don't think Khashoggi is going to derail it. I do think we need to be cautious about it because they're a very bad actor and not a very good ally. Um, but that's something that Trump is going to have to wrestle with, and I think that's something he's looking forward to going going on from the elections.
2: And I think somewhere where Trump does have an opportunity, remember in January during the State of the Union address where Trump recognized the North Korean defector, and that defector, he lifted up his crutches, and he was basically you know, showing for the world the symbol of freedom and that he ran away from North Korea. Now he's in the States sharing his story, working on behalf of the North Korean people so that we can remember and see the human rights violations that are going on right now in North Korea. So I think right now, especially in this time where the Democrats do have the House and they're probably going to obstruct, this is the time for the Trump administration to highlight those kinds of stories so that we don't forget because the people in North Korea are suffering. That's a very delicate issue. President Trump wants to work with Kim Jong-un to bring some sort of uh, unity here, some relief to the North Korean people. But I think now now is a very important time to highlight those people who have escaped, who are working on behalf of their brothers and sisters in North Korea to bring them some sort of relief from the oppression that they're under.
1: China? Uh, yep, China's another thing. So uh, we recently feb- uh, finalized our tariffs of 10% on 200 billion of Chinese imports. So our trade deficit with China is anywhere from 375 billion to 475 billion. It depends on how you count it, but essentially we put a, a massive tariff on most of those imports. And on January 1st, the plan is to up that tariff to 25%. Um, and that's something that China is, of course, concerned about. So one of the ways that they're trying to get around this is by front-loading exports. So they're just sending a ton of a ton of goods overseas to us and to other markets to try to avoid it when that when that rate goes up and they're also providing bailouts to their companies. They're also providing a stimulus package to their economy. So they're finding ways to try to offset this. Um, and, and to be fair, this is very difficult because when you put these tariffs on these goods, it's ultimately the consumer that carries the cost. So that's the average American who's gonna have to pay for higher goods at Walmart, at Target, almost anything that's made from China. Of course, on the flip side, China's been a, a, a bad actor with this for a long time. They They have an enormous amount of cyber attacks. They attack us more than anyone, even Russia. Um, they still all kinds of trade secrets. They steal blueprints for our military systems. And it's about time that someone's standing up to them. Now again, you have to be cautious because this hurts American consumers. This is a gamble. They are nuclear power. They are another major power. So the question is how do we stand up to them but not push them too far? And so I'm just as curious as everyone else to see if we raise tariffs in
2: January or not. I think that will be interesting too. And I've talked to American business owners and they're very They're supportive of what Trump is doing overseas, but I think you're right that we do have to be cautious because we don't want to put gains from tax reform at risk by Mm -hmm. these tariffs. And I think that's where we need to be cautious, but then also it's an opportunity for Democrats and Republicans to say, hey, let's tax tax reform 2.0 and work on this so that gains that we've already had aren't lost.
0: One of the things that we're so good at is elaborating and talking about foreign policy issues that we consider to be sexy, North Korea, China, Russia, the places that you just mentioned. But what is going on that's not necessarily on the headlines, which is equally just as important in terms of this president and foreign policy in other areas of the world?
1: Um, So I'd say, of course, one of those things is all the talk about that migrant uh, caravan and also what's going to happen in Venezuela going forward. If you have noticed, both of those things have dropped off of the news cycle now that the midterms are over, but I would expect them to come back at some point. It won't be long until at least part of that uh, roughly 5,000-person caravan does eventually reach the United States border, uh, and it also won't be long before uh, someone decides to do something over Venezuela um, or that crisis just continues to uh, unfold as it is. And um, these are two things to be concerned about because they're, they're human rights issues, essentially. Uh, and they're also security issues in the sense that um, these are people who are suffering. So you have uh, Venezuela's economy, a million percent inflation, a million percent. That, that's a huge amount. Their economy is halved. You have 90% of Venezuelans living in poverty. Most of the people in the caravan are escaping horrible conditions uh, crime, uh, political oppression, corruption. And so the question is, how do we help these people in a way that also upholds our concerns about security and also our concerns about making sure that things are stable because when there are vast movements of people, that disrupts societies around them, that disrupts uh, local supplies, whether that be medical, food, shelter, all of these things. And so I think that Trump really ought to be looking at coordinating international aid, helping local governments on the ground, right? If Trump is not willing to let a lot of people in, then what he should do is to say, all right, well, then I'm going to work with, say, Colombia, which has let in um, almost a million uh, Venezuelans, and say, how can we help you? How can we get the IMF involved, the Organization of American States, the United Nations, other people who have expertise to go on the ground and say, we're going to set up a well-run camp to help them out, that way they don't starve, that way we don't spread disease, that way the local populace doesn't get angry that their services are being overtaxed, overburdened, Help people out so eventually when the situation stabilizes they can return to their homeland. Same with setting up uh, processing centers say perhaps in Mexico or working with them so that if people want to settle from that caravan in Mexico they should be able to do so and if they come to the United States at a, a port of entry uh, they should be allowed of course to apply for asylum. Legally that's the case and uh, I think that those are two issues that will come back to the news cycle.
0: Uh, you know, I, I Rachel, I, I definitely want your input in this line of questioning of John from national interest. You know, something that really has not been reported in detail is why Angela Merkel, the Chancellor of Germany, is not seeking another term. And her doom was the migrant, the immigration issue. That is the issue that has really torpedoed her. Many of those countries did not want, just like what you're seeing now, those caravans trying to come in the United States, mm-hmm. there was a time in Europe where they wanted that. They thought benevolence and kindness, all the things that John just mentioned was what we should try to balance out. They tried everything that John just discussed. Guess what, Rachel? It didn't work. Mm -hmm. Not only did it work, it's costing her, literally, that position. Because Europe has turned away from migrants and these caravans coming to this country. And the least that we should do is learn from it and not repeat the same mistakes. Because listen, if it can't work in Europe, it certainly cannot work in the United States. Why is it that we don't talk enough about Germany and Europe and that example, where they had all the compassion, all the money in the world, but in the end, the money and the compassion was not enough?
2: I think it's honestly something we need to be looking at, because we've seen in different countries across the world, m- immigrants and migrants that have come in, they have been linked to terrorist organizations or different uh, sexual abuse scandals with people who are pimps and having uh, minors bringing them
0: in. And they're
2: bringing that in, and I think we have seen we saw the attack in France we've seen attacks in different countries around the world and I think that's where maybe Angela Merkel is suffering a little bit I think the German people see what's going on in other countries across the world they don't want their own sons and daughters and their the rest of their society to be endangered by people who might want to do them harm so I think that's where the rest of the world they're watching closely because we don't wanna we want to be benevolent as you said Armstrong we want to be letting people in but we don't want to let the criminals in and people who are going to do us harm so I think the world is beginning to see that, and that's becoming part of the national conversation, which is important because we're in a point right now where we're, like you said, we're we you know this migrant caravan is about to come in. We want to extend an open arm and be a, a country of freedom and I welcome these people, but we can't welcome criminals. So it's balancing those, those two things.
0: So, so John Dale Grover, talk to us about that in detail. Um, because, I mean, to hear you tell it and what Trump should balance, balance what? We have a blueprint. It does not work. What can we learn from Europe, where did Europe fail, and where can the United States do it better, not for the United States, but for the best interests of people coming here, having expectations. And when those expectations are not there, when you think you're coming to the land of milk and honey, they become violent, they become betrayed, and they do harm to this country. The last thing you should do is uproot them from their families, their environments, a world that they've known, and like you drop them into some foreign, strange territory. What do you expect them to do? So there's several things that we can point out here.
1: Uh, so the first of which is that the way in which, of course, Europe handled it was, was horrendous. They didn't do a good job of it. I perfectly acknowledge that and that the immigration issue was the primary reason for What is it that for. they didn't do a good so job of? What they did not do a good job of is that they are not very good at integrating people and they're not very good at making clear what their expectations are. So here's the difference between us and the United States. The United States, nation of immigrants, very complex. We have a wide variety of people. But what makes the United States unique is we are based on an ideal, Right? Anyone can be an American as long as they agree to our civic culture, as long as they agree, I'm going to work hard, I'm going to, you know, contribute to society, I'm going to be a productive member, I'm going to follow the rules, this, that, and all the other things. Europe is different in that they are very homogenous and frankly I would say that uh, in many ways they are more, much more racist than we are. And so the problem with that is they say it's like a separate but equal thing, the multiculturalism idea that you guys can come in, but, you know, it's racist for us to tell you you need to be French. French. It's racist for us to tell you you need to adopt our civic culture. And so instead we're gonna keep you separate, you get to stay here. But then what happens? Those that creates ghettos, it creates separate areas, and they're not separate but equal. This is an awful idea. Instead, you have poverty of crime, and it's not because these people are necessarily these people are not inherently criminals, they're not inherently violent, but what happens is that you let them in, you have this milk and honey expectation, and instead there's prejudice, there's shunned, and not only that, but you don't give them the opportunity to integrate. You don't say, all right, yes, welcome. Now, learn French, learn Italian. We're going to help you learn German. We're going to, you know, give you vocational training and make you become, help you become a productive member of society. If you keep them separate, and if you just keep them that way, then that creates a really, really big problem. And the other thing is that, you know, Marco said, oh, we should let them all in. Well, the moment she said that publicly, of course, people are going to hear them be like, oh, they're letting us in. Let's all go. And everyone starts to go. Instead of saying before that, you know what, we're going to work with local actors on the ground and really, really push for it. And I don't think that she pushed hard enough to say, uh, you know, Turkey or um, other countries that are around Syria, Jordan have wrote, you guys are accepting people, great, accept more of these refugees, and we're going to coordinate, again, an international response that helps make those conditions better so they're willing to stay in a local area and it's not as overwhelming. Um, and, and I think that those are, the, those are the two main components. And the last thing I'd add is that... Um, you know, uh, people coming from Latin America, they're much culturally closer to the United States. And I, I, my understanding is based on the research is that most immigrants um, are very law-abiding, very productive, but are uh, you are more you, entrepreneurial even than an average U.S. citizen. Are, are you
0: advocating uh, cause, um, that it's best to uproot them from their land is that bad, has no potential for them, and they need to just start life and new generations over again in a foreign place? Oh, that of course really
1: not. No, absolutely not. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that for those who are genuine refugees, right, they meet the definition of someone who is afraid to return to their home country because of persecution based off political affiliation, based off of group affiliation, all of these different things, you know, race, creed. So those genuine people, if they properly go through the process, they apply at a port of entry, or ideally they apply to the United, to the United Nations, they apply through Office of Customs and Immigration, that's one thing, right? If, and, and then you properly like vet them, and then you integrate them and everything. There's a difference between that versus helping create better conditions on the ground so that they're more incentivized to stay where they are, because most people don't want to be uprooted. Most people do not want to move to the United States or to another country. They want to stay in their home country, or they want to return to their home country. But they can't unless they are safe and that situation is restored. And so the idea is you just make things better for the vast majority who want to stay and help as much as you can so that way they stay there. And those who want to come in, you vet them, you do it legally. And as long as you do it properly, then those who are legally able to come in and meet the definition of refugee should be allowed and you integrate them and all of that. But again, that's a small percent out of most, so most me, of them. Most of them don't so, want to come. So, they want so, to stay. So
0: let me raise this. Yeah, I never thought that our immigration policies are the issue of asylum. It's for people to come here to escape poverty. Because then most Americans listening to our audio today on mm-hmm. the Strongcast is going to ask the question, well, where do we go around the world to escape the poverty that we find ourselves in in the United States? It seems as though that this really applies. This standard. It's not about coming here to escape. Poverty. Persecution, violence, yes, but not poverty. Mm-hmm.
2: I think people do see this as a land of opportunity, and I think... That's why, especially now, with so I'm not sure if you're familiar with Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, but she's from, oh,
0: she's so ignorant. You know, I and hate to she's, and she's no, she's, she's really, yeah, she has no idea. Well, she's, she's coming really here
2: her. that, and there's this all this debate about oh, you know, we need to. She's pushing basically a socialist aden- agenda, and what I think is time for us as Americans to say is to look at what people like her are saying and is. There are people coming to this country to escape what she's trying to advocate yeah, for. Yeah, Venezuela. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So yeah. there's no toilet paper no. on the shelves in Venezuela. People are coming here to escape that, and she's advocating for the policies that have made Venezuela what it is today. So I
0: think that's... She doesn't even know. She doesn't even understand. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. It's, a, it's really an indictment mm-hmm. of that um, jurisdiction that they elected her. It's really a sad commentary. And they so elected her, and they praised her for all the right reasons. All the wrong reasons they yeah. praise her. When I listen to her, and I'm rooting for her, say something intelligent, mm-hmm. say something that makes sense. And when they probe with her deep enough, she doesn't even understand what she's talking about. She really needs someone in the culture and to prepare for her for coming to Washington, D.C., because she reflects her constituency. And, and I know her district is highly populated with people like her who share her culture. But this is America. Yes, this right. is not Venezuela. Mm-hmm. And she's going to get a reality check mm-hmm. starting in January. So what, what do you suggest in, in our closing um, thoughts here It should be the top priority for Trump to balance uh, what you're talking about in terms of foreign affairs and the House Oversight Committee?
1: Um, so I think that uh, Trump should try to score some wins on foreign affairs. Again, I think that with Congress divided, he's probably not going to be able to accomplish much. Again, it depends. Maybe on infrastructure, maybe on criminal justice reform. But I strongly suspect he's going to have to gun from some wins elsewhere, such as another summit with uh, Kim. Now, when it comes to the oversight and the worries about you know the Mueller investigation, all of the Russia collusion stuff. So, so up to this date, up to this point in time, there is no concrete evidence that uh, he and his campaign actively somehow con- you know did a conspiracy or something to like steal the election. You know that that's not that's not a thing. Um, so. He can stand firm on that, and you know, on, you know, and there's no evidence for that, so he should be fine, even if they push for that, because the average American voter isn't going to buy it. In fact, one of the things we should learn from the way people uh, dealt with, say, uh, Berlusconi in Italy or other people who were very populist is that, you know, the Democrats should be focusing on policy. They shouldn't be focusing on character so much. They shouldn't be focusing on, they shouldn't, they shouldn't be focusing on rhetoric what Trump says. Look at what he does, look at not what it says. I mean, what he says matters, but if you want to win, focus on policy. And so Trump should continue to focus on, on policy as well, and I think that he can rack up some wins with North Korea if he has another summit meeting. Um, and, you know, as long as we continue to do, be firm on Russia, uh, but not, not too firm, then, you know, that helps to defend against that. I mean, we had NATO's exercise, Trident Juncture, that recently wrapped up. That was a, the biggest NATO exercise I've had since 2002. Uh, testing if we can defend Norway um, and I think that that's that's basically how he's gonna play it I think he's you know he's Teflon I think you know he's pretty resilient Rachel
0: your final thoughts
2: final thoughts so I think that uh, we're gonna see a lot of obstruction especially in the house because the Democrats are in control there but I think as we met, talked about earlier mentioned earlier is that let's highlight the stories as President Trump did in January at the State of Union address of people the human rights issues, for example, in North Korea, the man who left North Korea and was raising his crutches in freedom. Let's highlight those stories. For people like the newly uh, elected Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, let's suggest, like, perhaps you should go to Venezuela and see the people who have lived under socialism, who are trying to escape it, who don't even have food on their shelves to feed to their families she's pushing those kind of policies and that's what she's going to be trying to work towards in the House. Let's have folks like that go there and see the effects of socialism. The people who are, for example, right now in the caravan trying to come here to get a better life, they're trying to escape from socialism. So let's look at those effects of that so we don't bring them here to the United States.
0: John, how do we find more about uh, the national interest?
1: Um, so you can uh, find us at you know, uh, thenationalinterest.com and we have a Facebook page, we have Twitter and all of that. And uh, you can also look at the Center for the National Interest, which runs uh, the magazine. So you can subscribe or print, and print. We also have a internet uh, website.
0: Rachel, more about the Daily Call. Daily Signal.
2: Daily Signal. Yes. Go to dailysignal.com and follow us on Twitter at the Daily Signal. And you can also find me on Twitter as well. So just Google dailysignal.com and you can follow us there on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and all of those great things.
0: So well, I really want to thank you and one of the staff here at WJLA 24 7 who makes this broadcast. Possible. These are important conversations beyond what the media covers, um, um, beyond the headlines. And we really need to think about issues of foreign policy and what's exactly going to happen in January 2019 when Trump gets a reality check, but also the House Democrats may get a later reality check. Thank you for joining us. I'm Armstrong Williams.